Hey guys, welcome back to another Kinderguys podcast. I'm with my co-host, Santi Pajarillo, also known as my auntie. Say hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, so today we had our special guest. Her name is Becca Sahihan, and she is a director, writer, assistant director, and was a special effects technician on projects like Walking Dead, Watchmen, The Outsider, Hellfest, Amazing Stories, and more. In other words, she got paid to make things explode, burn, blood burst everywhere, and all that jazzy stuff. I love Becca. She's one of my dearest friends. Extremely kind and extremely hardworking. Don't call her Becky. She hates that. (laughs) But I love the conversation, and I think she's truly one of the gems of the earth. She did a lot of accomplishments, but she apparently started at like a young age and it's really incredible how she got onto projects really quickly. She very good conversationist. Like, I mean, is that even a word? I don't even know if that's a word. Conversationalist. Yeah. Yeah. Conversationalist. Like you can talk to her for hours and never get bored because it's her experiences and everything about her life were really amazing to listen. So we are going to now, or you guys will now, um, listen to our conversation. I'll see you guys there. You have entered Kindergeist. A horror podcast for kids and ghouls. <laughs> this is scary for no reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> if it's that bad, you don't have to say it. No, because what if I say it wrong and I don't... <laughs> <laughs> what if I say it wrong? You can just say annyeong. That's also high. I'm Zakia and we are with Becca. Well, uh, so I guess the topic of what we're talking about today, I am a member of IOTC Local 479, a union that operates kind of in the Southeast. Um, Specifically, I've worked predominantly in Atlanta. It's honestly been a couple years since I've done, you know, anything union work-wise relating to special effects. I've done some non-union stuff here and there and did some stuff uh, for a class, but As you know, Xanthi, that's because I kind of took a hiatus from that career uh, to come to Los Angeles for graduate school. Um, So I am getting my MFA at USC. Um, I'm actually finishing up the semester. So in like 21 days, I will be an alumni, hopefully. But since coming out here, I I came to pursue writing and directing, um, which is still uh, was my secret dream and is now my kind of goal in life. But I also work as an assistant director, um, which I really enjoy. Um, And I've been predominantly in terms of like paying the bills and feeding myself. (laughs) I've been ADing uh, for the most part. You're directing a horror film soon over the summer. Yes, I am uh, very excited. I am directing a short film. Not sure when it'll be released yet. Uh, Yes, I did not write it, um, but two very wonderful writers wrote a script. Uh, The working title is On My Way which that may change. Um, But I'm very excited. It's kind of, I think, my first time that I get to solely focus on directing um, without having to worry about producing or ADing. And also, it's the first time that I've really been given the opportunity to take the reins of a script that's not mine. 
Um, so I'm really excited for that as well. It has, you know, Korean American characters, um, which obviously being Korean American, that's really, really special to me. Um, and the ultimate kind of message of it, although it is kind of like this psychological fun thriller kind of piece, there is something kind of deeper into that, that I hope people who watch it will take away. I have a question first. Can you tell me about the Vampire Diaries and like how you worked with them? Oh man, um, I'll be honest, I didn't work on it much. Uh, that was back when I had kind of first started working in the industry. Um, so I was actually just day playing as a production assistant. Um, but they were at the Warner Brothers uh, studio, if I remember correctly, yeah, in Atlanta. Um, but it's really, really cool because they had been there for so many seasons. I think, I'm pretty sure it was like the final season. Um, whenever I came on, never having watched the show, I was like, oh, cool. It's just like hot people who are vampires in tight pants. I was like, this is rad. <laughs> Even then, you know, there was a lot of special effects that was happening on the show. Like I remember there was this one episode, I couldn't tell you what was happening, um, but there was a sequence where it was like a fire inside of a cave. So this was shot like inside the studio, uh, but it was really cool even then, because at that point I had no idea I wanted to go into special effects. Um, but even then, you know, I got to see kind of the effects guys kind of rig like the cave to have like fire come out, all sorts of stuff. And especially at the entrance kind of had this final whoosh. But fast forward, what I didn't realize is that special effects team, I would later go on to work with um, and worked with quite a bit. So in a weird way, I ended up back at the Warner Brothers lot after Vampire Diaries for Black Lightning. I day played on that for a bit and did some effect stuff there um, that was there. And I can't remember there was something else that was there. That's cool. Wait, for Vampire Diaries, did you meet any of the actors or actresses? I did. But I, I'll be honest, like, I remember knowing that, like, these people were a big deal. But at the same time, like, I'm such a grandpa. I had no idea who they were. Like, I, I just remember there was one, one of the main guys, I think his name is Ian. Is that a person? <gasps> you met Ian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian he was one of the guys in the tight pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I remember meeting him. And then there was another guy named Paul. <gasps> no! You're kidding! Paul Wesley? Yeah, I remember, though, he directed, like, he would direct an episode that he was also in. So it was really interesting because he would be directing. And then it'd be like, all right, Paul's got to go to hair and makeup. And then we would just set up, you know, and have to wait for him. And then he would watch playback of himself. Um, but it's, like, so interesting. Like, even then, I was like, oh, that's, like, a thing that people do. So that's a show, I think, because it was so successful. They were able to do things like that. Um, but it definitely was like a family vibe. My friends I know who worked on it full time, who brought me on, like had been there for multiple seasons and truly to them, it felt like a family. Yeah, I got a sense of that, like in a way at the end. And I've watched the show like twice. So how many seasons? I think there's like eight seasons and I've watched it twice. So I definitely know every single detail about it. <laughs> But anyways, do you have any Korean folklore or Korean like old scary horror stories? Um, like things that happened to me or things that I kind of was told growing up? Like you're being told by your elders, like. I think it, yeah. for me, to be just totally honest, I think I had a bit of a different experience because my family 
for pretty much everybody um, is very religious and both my parents work in religion. So because of that, I think they wanted to kind of shelter us from a lot of those types of things that were out there. That being said, my older sister took every opportunity to terrify me um, throughout my childhood and informed me of all the things that were lurking in the shadows and the darkness. Um, you know, even just watching like little bits of horror movie clips and stuff here and there as a kid, there were things that I was naturally afraid of that like other adults would, I don't know, just maybe Korean people are just mean. Maybe that's a racist thing to say. I don't know. But I swear like adults just love freaking kids out. So like, you know, I remember like not even having seen the movie, but seeing a glimpse of like, you know, the, the typical like scary ghost woman coming out of a well with like her long hair in front of her, you know, I can't really see her face. And then like someone telling me like, oh yeah, you know, inside every well, there's a spirit like that. And if you try to play, you know, and are disrespectful, they'll come to haunt you. I think just to, since I'm digressing anyways, one of my like favorite kind of uh, folklore, at least that I've like recently kind of gravitated towards the Xanthinos um, is the legend of Kumiho which is like a nine-tailed fox. Um, it's really cool because like throughout Asian cultures, there's kind of different variations that I found of the kind of tales of it. Um, but I think it's a really good example of what I am told, which my, this is my personal guess. So this may be way off base. But I think it's a really good example of kind of how these stories come from culture. Like for example, one of the things, even if there are kind of deviations that like the legend of Kumio has in common, is that like this nine-tailed fox creature that typically is known to like prey on young men. So it's also like Asian culture is pretty still pretty heteronormative, like presented itself in the form of this beautiful woman who like would seduce them and then eat them. And I think like part of that was like mothers or parents or whoever trying to like keep young men from chasing after like pretty girls and like things like that. You know what I mean? Is back in those times before there's technology and all those things, it's like people did believe in those things. You know, there was like the harvest season and there were like gods that or whether it was gods or like spirits or other entities, you know, there were a lot of kind of things like that. Um, so like growing up, the little kid kind of stories that I was told, even books my parents read to me, it was the, all the stories you hear, like, you know, the ugly duckling, Jack and Jill and things like that. You know, there was also stories of like goblins or like, you know, people in the olden times that like were too greedy or like that. Yeah. Like a spirit would bless them. But if they were too greedy, then they would end up coming to kill their family instead or something like that. There was a lot of like kind of legends like that that I didn't believe because I don't think they were ever meant to be believed, but they were meant to just like teach lessons. And like I said, kind of like scare kids. Yeah. I remember when um, we were talking about like Filipino um, horror stories, it's kind of similar. Like they were just there to teach a lesson in a way, you know, just like not really scare as much, just like to warn, I guess. Um, are we allowed to move on to the other thing? That's what we're here for. So you're good. Okay. So <laughs> For the people who don't know what special effects is, can you please explain what special effects is? Sure. I'll give kind of two explanations. 
and I, I don't like mean to sound like belittling at all, but this is truly like the best way I found to explain it is because like I've had kids on set ask me what I do. And the way I explain it is that like, and it's really cool because I get to say like, my job is basically movie magic. So anything that you see on screen that's happening, that's not actually happening in real life, not happening in like real life, meaning reality, but that we're making practically happen on set. So no CGI and the computer stuff that would be visual effects. And a lot of times our departments work very closely together, especially nowadays. But what that means is like, if you see a scene and it's pouring rain and it's not actually raining that day, that would be a special effects thing. Or same thing with like basically all weather, snow, wind, um, on Watchmen, there was squid falling out of the sky. You know, it's like whatever you kind of want to do like that um, is kind of all in special effects. But it goes from things like that to like fog, smoke, you know, real fire, real explosions, um, helping stunts with like car flips even um, making things that break a lot of breakaway stuff, even like elevator doors that are opening. I have been like the person who pulls it to make it open. Or like, I've also rigged, you know, pneumatic doors that are like the evil guys layer where the doors are like, so basically all of that kind of falls into this department, which is really magical because every day is kind of a new thing. And so like the, the, the types of stuff I've done. And like, if I start to like tell you some of the stories, it's such a weird collection of things because it's even like, I've done like puking gags. I've done throat slicing gags, you know, I've done gunshots. It's kind of like, it's amazing how many things happen, but basically like the department's job is when the director says, okay, I see this in my head, but this isn't something that we can just do you know, the special effects department gets to say, okay, then how do we make that possible? And so you do have to test things and you have to like, just make sure you can do things safely. Um, you have to build things that don't exist that you do for one gag and then never use again. Um, it's a lot of kind of cool things like that. Um, which is the reason like I went into it, you know, I always had this secret dream of writing and directing and those two things don't really intersect, but at the same time, it kind of does. Cause for me, I got to see how words from paper come to life through something like that. It's taught me, I think just from everything technical, like in terms of electrical things, water things, all the things like that, that I had to learn, like that along with all the people kind of I've worked with who have been doing this for way longer than I have. It's really helped me as a storyteller, I think, um, find my style, but also kind of find my perspective of life and reality, at least the world that I want to paint. That's cool. Since you brought up like how much special effects that you do in general and how you built up this portfolio of everything, I just want to know like what type of genre of like projects have you mostly done if it's like horror special effects if it's um action special effects like i'm not sure if i'm making sense here but i think i'm wording it wrong yeah, I, no, really no, know, like, I get what you mean it's been a couple years since i've i've done anything um but when i was working full time i kind of i was very thankful it's not that i was just this like uniquely spectacular technician but i think i just was blessed enough to meet the right people and you know, was able to do my part to continue to get opportunities that 
because of that, I got to work on a lot of different stuff. My first full-time gig was actually on The Walking Dead, which that is a show that exposed me to everything you could possibly imagine. Everything from fire to obviously like, even now, I think everything I've learned about anything relating to blood, whether it's like an effect or just how it looks or how it acts, it's like all of that I learned there. But, and so it's kind of weird because even then I was kind of in this horror world and I tell Xanthi this all the time where I'm like, horror is not my like favorite genre. It's not my go-to, but I keep finding myself working in it. Um, and it started even back then because those same guys that I worked with on The Walking Dead are the ones that I did Hellfest with. So a lot of it's, you know, same people making, I guess, the same kind of taste. So it was naturally, you know, made sense to kind of have, it was actually a lot of the same walking dead crew that on our kind of off time in between seasons worked on that uh, film. So I think for me doing effects, it's like, I'm also someone who I don't anymore because since coming to school, I mean, I can renew it, but I decided not to, because it didn't make sense. Of course. Um, I did hold a pyrotechnics license, um, like an ATF manufacturer's license and also like state of Georgia explosives license. Because I really, even from when I first started as an assistant on a film called Darkest Minds, there was a lot of pyrotechnics and that was something I really wanted to learn and learn how to do safely. So because of that and because I became known as somebody who knew how to do that, that is kind of one of the more specialized things within effects. That's not something that like, day one, everybody knows how to do. And it's something, like I said, I learned on the job because of that. I like worked for one coordinator, for example, where I would day play, meaning I wasn't full time on a show. Even if I was working every day of the week, I would be on different shows. He would kind of send me where he had bigger, bigger pyro stuff, um, or kind of like bigger stuff that he knew I was kind of good at. Um, so because of that, I think I naturally found myself on shows and things that had like a lot of action kind of, as you say, um, but also kind of like horror blood stuff kind of in that way too, because like blood is obviously all throughout horror, but that's also something you find a lot of times in action movies just because of like gunshots and squibs and stuff. What is your favorite effect that you've done while you're on the walking dead? We did, we did like a lot of cool stuff on that show. I remember like, one of the tests we had to do because like they wanted to do a fight where the guy like takes another guy through the wall. So we had to like figure out how to score drywall and break it, but to test it, we scored it. And then I just like got to punch it. And like, that to me was so fun. I felt like the Hulk, right? I was just like, oh, I mean, it's like, there's little things like that, but then we also like blew up a bridge. You know what I mean? So there, that show, like I said, it's, it's hard to kind of know. I'm trying to think because like there's a lot of other kind of little things we've done. Like sometimes I love doing really intimate effects on set where like um, so like season nine, I was like the onset rep for special effects. So there would be days where it was even just me on set, but like it was even like doing a door slam or something like that or like anything involving like a big group of walkers. Right. And who are all stunt people. It was just like having to like do all that. Like, how do we make this balcony thing collapse and things like that? Now that I'm saying all this, I think one of the most memorable things that comes to mind is we did an episode. I couldn't tell you 
what episode number or anything like that. But it involved a car cruncher because we were at like uh, the junkyard. So they there's this like moment, scene, sequence, whatever, where there's this car cruncher and one of the characters, I hate myself for blanking on her name, is like standing on the other side of it to lure the walkers to fall into this car cruncher. And it's just like this meaty, just gross thing of walkers, right? So I remember like, in order to test it, we kind of like, I mean, had a field day very safely, of course, but it was a real car cruncher. So like we could like throw, maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast. But I remember like we threw like a safe into the car cruncher and just watched it like obliterate <laughs> Um, but it was also so we could see kind of how it would work because what we had to do was make these huge, huge like barrels of goo and gunk that was supposed to be what came out onto this conveyor belt. So I remember like there was one day where I just remember like making color for puke and all sorts of things, but like I was testing the color for that because we had to figure out how to make a massive amount of it. We had to shred up clothes. We were like, what can look like bones? What can look like muscles? Like it needed to look real and not like a, just a bunch of stuff. Cause part of, you know, the reason the show is so powerful is because of that authenticity, which is why we have like so many different types of blood in those things. So I remember it took us, you know, like, however many days to prep for that and then on the day of it was like four of us in like the Tyvek suits I'm talking looking full astronaut like we even had like NASA guy number one and then like I think I was like NASA guy number four question mark but there's like a question mark next to guy for me but I remember it was like once the camera was rolling it was like all right go and the conveyor's belt started going for the speed the director wanted it was all four of us just trying to slosh stuff onto this conveyor belt well, at the same time, like trying to catch it at the end somehow to save it, to reuse it, to do multiple takes. But then we also had to have like set dressing, make these fake styrofoam mounds of this stuff with, that we dressed by plastering some of it over it because they wanted a shot where it was like just it's getting the pile is getting bigger and bigger. So it was just the sheer mass of it was so crazy, but I remember like being just covered head to toe. And I have a picture somewhere of just like blood. And at the end of the day, like I, you know, taking off the Tyvek suit, I'm like, Oh, that was crazy. I'm like about to go home. I stop at the gas station um, and the gas station dude's like looking at me real weird. And I'm like, that was a weird experience. He must be like, I don't know, maybe it's uh, maybe he's one of those people. And I get in the car and I look in like my little rear view mirror and I've got like a splatter of blood going up my neck. I was like, oh yeah, I would, I would have been a little weird too. <laughs> no, I love that. I remember you said that your mom was scared that you got a job on The Walking Dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, bless my mom. So I, ooh, man, I put her through some, some stuff, but uh, no, yeah, I had never, I actually, this is a horrible confession, but it's a true one. I'd never seen the show. I knew what it was about, but I never like formally watched the show before I, I got the job offer. Um, and of course I was so excited. It was my first like full-time gig where I would be listed as a technician on, you know, a very renowned show. I remember like I called my mom and I expected her to be so excited. I was like, I got a show on the walking dead. She was like, what? I was like, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, she's like, is it, 
She's like, oh my gosh, are you sure? I was like, what do you, what do you mean am I sure? Like, I was like, yeah, I took the job. Like, I, this is it. Like, this is, it's happening. She was like, well, I just, you know, like, I know my parents raised me well, but my mom, even as a kid, like my mom would not let me watch scary things because it would make me have nightmares. I think it was because she was sick of dealing with me when I had nightmares. But like, that's my mom. It's like, I was not even allowed to watch like Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Like until I was old enough. I remember her specifically asking me though, she was like, aren't there like demons? Isn't it about demons? I was like, mom, first of all, I don't think so. Second of all, I was like, I don't think you understand what I do. Like we don't go and start the morning with like, all right, everybody say a quick prayer to Satan for all the devils we're going to be, you know, it's like, it's very like not, you know, I go, like I, I go to work and I'm like sitting there mixing. Yeah. No, I just remember like making vomit though. I just want to know from your personal experience, if you've ever been like not heard by, or no, your, your opinions were unvalid towards men on the set. Like when you're doing your own job, I don't know. Like, you know how like sometimes you're looked upon, no, you're looked down on because you're a woman. To, To digress a little bit, like my dream is to find an opportunity where in some sort of capacity as writer, director, assistant director, I get to go back to Atlanta. Um, cause I'm really curious to see, cause I mean, I know my friends who are people of color who are still, you know, union members working in the industry, but there were numerous sets where I, you know, would be on big budget union productions and I would be the only Asian person or I would be like one of three people of color period, you know? And I think that's something that in today's society is naturally changing finally, thankfully. But at the same time, because of that, it's like, especially having worked in Atlanta, which is kind of this like safe haven hub in the South, it is still in the South. And a lot of times we would be shooting locations that were way outside of Atlanta. So more in kind of rural parts of Georgia. I think for me, like I said, I was very thankful um, and very blessed to just get to kind of move up pretty quickly. Like I was 21 when I joined the union. By the way, I was very young and I must have been, I think I was 22 when I started working on The Walking Dead, 22 or 23. And so I was immediately the youngest person in the department, one of the youngest person, like people on the crew, um, but also one of the people of color. So naturally I stood out no matter where I went. You know, I went into special effects, not really knowing much about the department across the industry, meaning I didn't know that it was a department that didn't really have women. Like it makes sense if you think about it, it is very hard work. And part of the reason why I stopped doing it is because like, I do want to have a family one day. And I don't think it's a career that like for me, I could safely continue to do and be able to like fully kind of support that. But to go back to what I was saying, I, because of that, like I, a lot of times worked with men who were twice my age. Like I have worked with, I think two or three female technicians in my career. Um, and those were day players who kind of came and went, and that was just when we needed extra help. But, you know, I have been an onset foreman on set with like six or seven other people who are all men who are all older than me. And there are times where it's like, I do have to ask people to do something and they might not agree with me, but it's kind of like for, for the most part, I'm very thankful because I don't really have 
like a lot of kind of stories like that. I think, you know, there are a lot of wonderful people out there and a lot of people who wanted to teach me and who kind of lent me a hand and helped me get my foot in the door, um, who were men who were twice my age who did know better than me. And I think because of that, I really had to learn as I got more knowledgeable to have confidence in myself and to kind of be able to stand my ground and find my place. Like as an onset foreman, I am supposed to be at Video Village and having the opportunity to like meet directors and DPs who are very renowned people who respected my position, regardless of seeing that, I think really kind of helped me not run into those issues um, and get to do a lot of really cool things. There's a few people I can think of who were kind of in similar situations that I think being together with them really helps. Like uh, there's one friend in particular, her name is Jessica Chamberlain, uh, shout out to her, but she's a visual effects supervisor. Um, and now she's working on Marvel and she's a big deal and all sorts of stuff. But at wow. one point, like, yeah, I remember we worked on amazing stories together. And at one point she was the visual effects supervisor and I was the onset foreman. And she is also a woman of color and she's only like a year or two older than me, I believe. So at the time we were both like young women in our twenties representing two pretty big departments or two pretty important departments for what we were doing, walking the director and DP who are, you know, older than us and, you know, more experienced than us through it. Knowing that we had the knowledge and like skill set to do so, I think we really helped each other. And a lot of times like we could sidebar or like we would both be like, Oh my gosh, isn't this crazy? We're both at Video Village. I'm like, this is so fun. But just because we liked working with each other too. But so I think because of that, it was great. But there are a few stories that I won't, you know, name names or take the time to share. But there were a few kind of hurtful moments that I have experienced where it's even like I was doing my job and one of my previous foremen, like I was able to lift the same amount of weight as like my coworkers, the other technicians. He was like, oh my gosh, good job. Just to me and not to anybody else. And it was kind of like, huh, like there's a like there's been weird moments like that. Or like it's hard because it's like I said, especially in the South, there's kind of sometimes this blur of like trying to be polite and be helpful and be like a quote unquote gentleman versus like thinking somebody can't do something or can't do their job. I remember, you know, that same foreman, like there was one time it was just me and him working because I drew the short straw and everybody else got to go home. And at the end of the day, we were wrapping out our smoke machines, which are probably like 30, 35 pounds each. And I, I like picked one up with, you know, each hand, which is not light, but like I can easily do that. And like, he was like, oh, you got it? And I was like, I kind of laughed. And I was like, yeah, I got it. And he was like, are you sure? And I turned and I realized he's very seriously asking me. And it's, and I was like, yes, like, this is the easiest, you know, part of our job. It's like little things like that, no matter how far I was getting in my career would kind of remind me how I present to some people, not through any fault of my own, but just because of how I look and my age, like you said. So like I said, for the most part, like it's all, all been kind of good experiences. I think, especially I'm thankful that I live in today's world where I do get these opportunities and not even like when my parents were younger and you know in their time that's really amazing thank you for that sharing everything 
I know it brings like a lot of um, awareness to anybody who is listening and has experienced something like that. And I for sure have as well. But like, what are some stereotypes of being a special effects like worker? (laughs) I remember when I first joined, one of the first things someone told me was like, well, if you're going to work in effects, you either have to get tattoos or smoke. It's one or the other. I was like, okay. (laughs) It's also like, maybe this is just what I hope people think. I think people think effects people are tough people. Because like I said, it's a lot of kind of down and dirty work. Like I have been, you know, on my knees covered in mud. I've been laying by the side of a highway been covered in car grease. So it's kind of like, it's a tough job, but I think people also know that it's, I mean, we're all nerds. I think that also people know. Like one thing I found that I had in common with every person in effects I met is we were all people that when we were kids and like we got a toy or a machine, we would take it apart just to see how it works and then put it back together. Like we were those people. So I think that to that, and I wear the nerd badge with pride. So I don't say the word nerd in a derogatory way. I think that's definitely something. And I mean, we would have some pretty geeky conversations about like even generators and, you know, things like that. But I think the funniest kind of stereotype is, but people are like, yeah, everybody who works in effects are like pyromaniacs. Like they just love fire. And like love to just like set things on fire, which like I said, I'm not saying it's true, but I do enjoy working with fire and I do find fire relaxing. So, but like who doesn't find like a nice crackling fire? Yeah, I've I had that conversation with my friends before. Like, do you guys like fire or not? And they all said no. But personally, I really think I like playing with fire, even though it's dangerous. I don't know why. It's just like relaxing and I like, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just fun. (laughs) It is fun. It is dangerous, though. I remember, like, one of the things that struck me when I first started really working with a lot more pyro stuff was I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, this is something, like, Korean moms say all the time. It's like, if you play with fire, you'll wet the bed. And I remember, like, every night just being like, (laughs) I got paid to go with fire today. But, um, yeah, I've, I've had a couple instances where we did everything safely. But something happens. A lot of times it's like, it was actually on The Walking Dead, for example. There was one where we were doing Molotov cocktails, but they wanted it to look like explosions, which is not how it works, but we just give them what they want. So we had these gas bombs on the ground, but in addition, we had these bodies that were body piles um, that were supposed to be like soaked in fluid. So when the gas bombs went off, those were already ignited. It was just to just look like this big fire thing. And the stunt guys were going to run in and then they were going to catch on fire. There was just flammable things everywhere. You know, it's very, very like very locked off. I remember um, my foreman, my supervisor, it was obviously there on set. And I remember he specifically, he told the AD, he said, you know, your cameras have to be rolling by the time we fuel up, which means when we pour the fuel, because even though it's a liquid that we're pouring, it fumigates and that what's evaporating or like, I'm probably using incorrect science terms. It's been so long. Um, but basically flammable gas starts to emit. So the air kind of becomes flammable, which is why it's kind of a ticking clock. So you're not supposed to like let it go and then like set up camera and then do it because then like that can travel and it can become dangerous. So you made that clear, but I remember there's some sort of technical with one of the cameras. The, like they were all rolling, but then something happened 
but the rest of like the effects guys had cleared out because they had you know fingers on triggers ready to go and it was like completely loaded and hot at that point but i was still there next to my supervisor and i remember like they like finally got the camera and he was like all right and like handed me the blowtorch and i was like okay which meant i was supposed to light these bodies and i think there were like five piles if i remember correctly there were multiple piles that were that i was supposed to light but because we had poured it on the ground cuz like i said the stunt guys were supposed to catch on fire too and like everything was supposed to just be fire i think my theory i think our theory as a department was that like the air started becoming flammable because I, I started with a blowtorch like up above my head. And before I was even, I was probably halfway to the ground. Like I hadn't actually touched the pile yet. It caught on fire and it like a flashed, which that just means like, it kind of looks like a fireball. So mm-hmm. then like, it's kind of like big and then it's over quote unquote, but like that happened and it caught on that first pile caught on fire. And then it basically, what wasn't supposed to happen was there was somehow kind of like a trail to all of them because that whole area had just been soaked and treated i think so then every single pile around me caught on fire so then i just remember like i just reacted like my body went into autopilot i cannot take any credit for doing this coolly but somehow i just like very calmly i remember like walked over like stepped over like this little fire patch and just like walked off set and the medic like came running over. She was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I saw my life flash before my eyes, but I'm fine. <laughs> but I think that, you know, like I said, that was earlier on in my effects career. But even then, you know, I was always afraid of fire, but that really taught me like, there's a reason why you have to know everything about these elements. Like if you don't know that using a flammable liquid can emit a, a flammable gas, you could put a whole lot of people in danger. Or if you don't know like how propane works, because propane sinks, it doesn't go up. So like if you have a propane leak, for example, like it'll fall to the floor and spread. So even if like, like if you, somebody drops a match, the whole floor can like whoosh and kind of have that same effect. So it's like, you have to kind of know how these things work and react with each other. I cannot remember why I started talking about this, but. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you for telling us you're a hardcore superhero walking through the fire story. I know. Just to quickly say, like knowing you and how hard you work, you're 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 buff just in general. Like I'll be like, <gasps> and you'll be like, I got this, Xanthi. Friday, but- April 22nd. Remember this day, people. Xanthi, call me buff. okay so is there anything you want to plug for in today's episode sure i think for me like you said i'm i have that short film coming up be on the lookout i will pass that on to you guys whenever it's officially out i'm producing a couple projects um actually over the summer so not what i typically do but i'm very excited one of them specifically chud C-H-E-O-L is a story about a Korean-American guy. That is a USC thesis project. So I'm very excited for that one. I think just obviously due to the nature of the story, but I think also the message that it's trying to bring really is talking about kind of emotional connection, I think, within Korean culture and how sometimes there's been a lack of it, um, just in terms of outward presence, even within like families and stuff. That'll be filming in July. I'm not, so that'll probably be coming out at the end of the year. Um, feel free to look at any of the commercials and music videos I've done. Those are great. Uh, <laughs> awesome. 
And lastly, where can people find you on social media? Okay, now that I'm saying this, it has to officially happen. My post-graduation goal, I wish I was joking, is to be less of a grandpa and to be on Instagram more. So that's what makes sense for me to share. Uh, it's just beckbc.han, H-A-N. Um, so that's that's my handle. I think that's what the cool kids call it. <laughs> For the most part, that's pretty much it. Um, I technically haven't done it, but I've been meaning to just deactivate my Facebook because I never use it. So yeah, find me on Instagram. Okie dokie. Well, thank you so much, Becca, for being with us tonight. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. Um, Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and add us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All you have to do is search up Kinder Guys Podcast and remember you are loved, you're a baddie, and remember to always live on the fright side. Bye!